Today on the All You Need to Know About Human Physiology podcast, we'll be covering the major concepts of how skeletal muscle contracts, a discussion of the comparison between skeletal smooth and cardiac muscle anatomy, physiology, and regulation, the importance and mechanism of the spindle reflex, and a comparison of neuronal action potentials, cardiac myocyte action potentials, and autorhythmic cell action potentials. To start off our discussion, I'd like to take a second to talk about homeostatic balancing. Slide 4 of MLO6 shows perfectly one of Canon's four postulates. As shown, we have both parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems working in opposition. Both of these systems show antagonistic control, as the parasympathetic nervous system shows rest and digest, while the sympathetic nervous system shows fight or flight. The lines in the diagram show that there is a balance of homeostatic levels. When the parasympathetic nervous system is more active, this can inhibit the sympathetic nervous system and vice versa. Keeping in mind the word dynamic, this explains that these levels are subject to change. Homeostatic balancing is necessary in order to understand how our bodies control their functions. Within the sympathetic and parasympathetic pathways, there are different neurotransmitters and receptors present. The sympathetic pathway contains nicotinic and norepinephrine receptors receptors, and the parasympathetic pathway contains nicotinic and muscarinic receptors. Question time, what type of neurotransmitters bind to muscarinic receptors? Yes, acetylcholine. Both nicotinic and muscarinic receptors bind acetylcholine. Now let's talk about how these pathways can affect our muscles and their function. Slide 31 shows some key differences between skeletal, cardiac, and smooth muscle. Skeletal muscle and cardiac muscle are striated, while smooth is not. Skeletal muscle is multinucleated, even though there's only one cell present. In contrast, cardiac and smooth muscles are uninucleate. Question time. What structure do you all believe can cause the striations within skeletal and cardiac muscles? Exactly. The striations are caused by the presence of sarcomeres in these muscle cells, which are not present in smooth muscles. Now that we know some key differences, why don't we look more into the anatomy present in the skeletal muscles? Skeletal muscle is composed of connective tissue, nerve and blood vessels, and fascicles that contain muscle fibers with mitochondria, actin, and myosin. Within these fibers is where we can find the structures most important to skeletal muscle contraction. The fiber consists of the sarcolemma, which is the plasma membrane of a muscle cell, T-tubules, which are invaginations of the sarcolemma, the the sarcoplasmic reticulum, which sequesters calcium into the sarcoplasm, and the sarcoplasm, which contains mitochondria for energy, glycogen, and myofibrils necessary for contraction. The sarcoplasm is the same thing as what the cytoplasm is in all other cells. So question time, when we have calcium reuptake into the sarcoplasmic reticulum, do we have primary active transport or secondary? What is the difference between these two concepts? If it is primary, what amino acid residue is used to help generate the energy needed for the reuptake? Wow, so that was a hefty question, but yes, in the sarcoplasmic reticulum, we have primary active transport of calcium into the sarcoplasm because ATP is directly used. Aspartic acid is the amino acid that is phosphorylated to generate enough energy 
for the ions to move across the membrane. Moving on from anatomy, let's look at how the skeletal muscle actually contracts. When calcium enters the sarcoplasm, it can bind to troponin, which regulates tropomyosin. In a relaxed state, tropomyosin is bound to the myo myosin, inhibiting myosin to bind to a new actin site in order to initiate contraction. However, when calcium binds to troponin, this allows tropomyosin to dissociate, allowing myosin to attach to a new actin binding site, allowing for the contraction to occur in the sarcomere. When the muscle is relaxed, there's a tight binding between myosin and actin. When ATP binds, myosin can dissociate from the actin. When the ADP and phosphate group remain bound to actin, myosin is able to bind weakly to a different or new actin molecule, allowing for the myosin to overlap the actin molecules in order to aid in contraction. After releasing the phosphate, the power stroke is initiated, allowing actin and myosin to slide past each other, like we just mentioned, bringing the Z-disc of the sarcomere closer together. After the power stroke, ADP leaves, and myosin remains tightly bound to the actin, and the cycle just repeats itself. A great visual of this is shown on slide 41 of MLO6. So question time. When contraction is occurring, what parts of the sarcomere shorten? Correct. The H and I bands shorten while the A band stays the same size. Regulation of skeletal muscle contraction is due to the reuptake and release of calcium through calcium ion ch channels like we mentioned before. As for smooth muscles, there is a much longer and slower regulation for co of contraction as smooth muscles do not need a quick contraction period because they are found in the intestines, bladder, and uterus. Smooth muscle is composed of gap junctions and cells that contract as a single unit. The gap junctions allow for ions and signals to be released through the entire muscle to aid in their work as a single unit. The smooth muscle does not contain sarcomeres and it has a lattice-like structure, which makes it bidirectional. In order for smooth muscle contraction to occur, we need calcium to enter the sarcoplasm. This can occur in two ways, through ion channels on the sarcoplasmic reticulum like we talked about before, or from the extracellular matrix. Once calcium enters the sarcoplasm, it binds to comodulin, and we saw that in skeletal muscle, calcium was binding to troponin, so this is different. This calcium binding to comodulin causes activation through dephosphorylation. Next, this calcium comodulin complex activates MLCK. MLCK then is able to phosphorylate the light chains in myosin heads, allowing for contraction to occur. So question, what can inhibit contraction in smooth muscles? Exactly, cyclic AMP and nitric oxide cause the muscles to relax. Cyclic AMP inhibits MLCK, increasing the vessel diameter, and nitric oxide can cause cyclic GMP to form, inactivating myosin heads and causing relaxation due to the activation of myosin phosphatase. So both of these processes are undoing what the normal contraction uh, occurs with. 
In order to regulate smooth muscle contraction, the cell can exhibit a multitude of processes, like we said before. Some, including using, uh, some include using myosin phosphatase, increasing cyclic AMP concentration, increasing cyclic GMP concentration, increasing epinephrine concentration, and many, many more. Finally, let us talk about cardiac muscles, which are essential to the heart. Cardiac muscles have intercalated discs, which are junctions that include both gap and mechanical junctions in order to allow the transmission of ions and signals. Cardiac muscles, as mentioned before, are uninucleate with muscles with fibers. Cardiac muscles have a twitch faster than smooth muscles, but slower than skeletal muscles in order to aid in their job of making sure the heart beats at a constant pace. The cardiac muscle also contains sarcomeres, like the skeletal muscles, and the process of contraction and regulation is the same as skeletal muscles, as we mentioned before. Our next discussion will focus on the spindle reflex. In order to understand this process, we must go over the different proprioceptors. The muscle spindle, the Golgi tendon organ, and joint receptors are important when understanding these processes. The muscle spindle senses stretch, the Golgi tendon senses force, and the joint receptors sense pressure. So question, which proprioceptor responds to excessive force? Exactly. The Golgi tendon will respond to force to make sure no damage is inflicted on the muscle. Now, let's talk more in-depthly about the spindle. The muscle spindle allows for information of stretch sensation to be sent to our central nervous system. The spindles can acquire information about unexpected motion that affects the position of the body. When exposed to this motion, the firing rate changes in response. Through alpha-gamma coactivation, the spindle is able to maintain its function and structure when the muscle contracts. Because these neurons fire at the same time, the intrafusal fibers do not have a change in their stretch. This allows for the firing rate of the sensory neurons to remain constant. So question, what are some examples of the reflexes that we have in our own bodies? Exactly, the knee-jerk inflection crossed extensor reflexes are perfect examples. In the knee-jerk reflex, a stimulus is placed on the tendon which causes the muscles to stretch and firing rate of the spindle to increase. The quadriceps then contract while the hamstring relaxes, causing the leg to swing forward. In the flexion reflex and cross-extensor reflex, a stimulus is placed on one foot, causing the weight to be shifted to the other leg. This activates extensors in the quadriceps of the other leg, and it causes the flexors to contract in the leg that encountered the stimulus. The final part of today's discussion will contain a brief overview of the cardiovascular system, but we will mainly focus on comparing autorhythmic, myocyte, and neuronal cells. The heart has four chambers that assist in the transmission of blood to the lungs and the rest of the body. Different blood vessels are found, including the aorta, arteries, arterioles, capillaries, veins, and more. A helpful way I remember the direction of blood flow within these blood vessels is thinking arteries away and veins come towards the heart. When understanding blood flow, do we consider differences in pressure or absolute pressure? Correct. We take the difference or change in pressure, which we can simply calculate by taking the flow on the left side and subtracting it from the flow on the right side if the blood is flowing from left to right. 
Additionally, if there is a decrease in vessel diameter, the blood vessel is more constricted, leading to increased resistance to flow due to the similar diameter. This thus results in a slower blood flow. Also, blood viscosity can affect blood flow. If blood viscosity increases, resistance to flow increases, slowing the flow of blood. Finally, as vessel length increases, resistance to flow increases, slowing the blood flow. Normally, blood viscosity and vessel length do not change frequently, so vessel diameter is the change we try to monitor. Now, how does the heart actually allow for the pumping of the blood? Due to the function of myocardial cells, muscle cells are able to remain connected and allow ions to pass through due to the intercalated discs that contain desmosomes and gap junctions. As we mentioned before, there are lots of mitochondria, large T-tubules, and graded potentials that allow for action potentials to be reached in order to aid in contraction. Autorhythmic cells in the SA node are seen to be in a cluster which sits on top of the atrium. On slide 45, we see that the electrical current is able to spread from this node down into the contractile cells due to gap junctions. Through depolarization, contraction is able to occur, which allows for the blood to be pumped from the ventricles out into the aorta in order to be spread out. These cells coordinate the pumping of the blood. The mechanism of the action potential in autorhythmic cells is in contrast to what we learned in neuronal action potentials. In autorhythmic cells, there are IF channels. The IF channels differ from how we usually interpret sodium ion channels. The I stands for current, while the F stands for funny. When IF channels open, there will be an influx of sodium ions into the cell. However, this only happens in response to hyperpolarization instead of depolarization. So question time. If depolarization and propagation of the action potential is not brought on by sodium, what causes the formation of the action potential in autorhythmic cells? Perfect. Calcium ion channels open in order to allow for the depolarization and propagation of the action potential and potassium ion channels open after in order to repolarize the membrane. So lastly, let's just compare and contrast neuronal, myocyte, and autorhythmic action potentials briefly. Neuronal and myocyte action potentials occur through the depolarization by sodium channels opening, and autorhythmic action potentials occur through calcium ion channels opening. The positive feedback for these action potentials is seen through the same mechanisms of these ion channels opening. Each of these cells have specific action potentials that help their function. Autorhythmic cells are a pacemaker regulating heartbeat. Myocyte cells have a plateau and they only need a strong peak in order to initiate the blood pumping. With neuronal cells, the signals inf and information needs to be transmitted very quickly so the action potential duration is shorter compared to the others. That's all for today. I hope you learned something about the major concepts of how skeletal muscle contracts, a discussion of the comparison between skeletal smooth and cardiac muscle anatomy, physiology, and regulation, the importance and mechanism of the spindle reflex, and a comparison of neuronal action potentials, cardiac myocyte action potentials, and autorhythmic cell action potentials. See you next week for another discussion. All of the information today was brought to you by the lectures titled Bio 3200 ML06223 and Bio 3200 ML07225 by Dr. Karen Meyer. Thanks!